Hello and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers, and today I'm pleased to welcome Eric Arnott. Eric is the editor of an online newsletter called Warranty Week. It's aimed at people in the business, the manufacturers making the products that get the warranties, the retailers and dealers that sell the products, and the extended warranties that go with them, and the administrators and insurance companies that work with those manufacturers and retailers to manage all the paperwork. It's currently published as a weekly email on Thursday nights to over 7,000 subscribers, and it's available on the web at www.warrantyweek.com. Before launching Warranty Week in late 2002, Eric did market research and wrote columns about the data, communications, and email industries, and the initial commercial rollout of the internet. He lives and works at home in Queens, New York, close to the airports, City Field, and the spaceships featured in the movie Men in Black. Eric Arnhem, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Tim. Good morning to you. Eric, you've been collecting data from OEMs about warranty costs as a percentage of sales as one of your projects. What are some of the things you've discovered? What, what kinds of general trends are affecting these costs? Well, there's, there's a few different ways to um, look at the data that I'm collecting. First, I should mention that uh, the data is uh, you know, free to everyone to uh, collect themselves from the annual reports of the manufacturers. It's a little bit hard to find, though. It's usually stuck in the notes way down you know, on page 100-something. Uh, I've been uh, tracking um, hundreds of um, American manufacturers since uh, 2003, uh, collecting uh, how much they're reporting in uh, paying in claims and uh, how keeping the orders. And as I've tracked this over the years, you know, some years, some years are down. Uh, the recession was down in 2008, 2009. But um, in terms of dollars, we said uh, back in 2003, it was around $24, $25 billion being spent on uh, processing warranties by the manufacturers. Now it's around uh, $26 billion. So that hasn't really changed much. Interesting. But what has changed is that the, the sales volume has changed quite a bit. And so when you take that amount back in 2003, $24 billion divided by sales, 0.8% in round numbers. Now you take that $26 billion and divide it by sales, it comes out to 1.3%. So we're talking roughly $2 billion in sales. So I guess the best way of looking at it is half, half a point decline over 16 years. It may not sound like much, but when you're talking about $2 trillion in sales, essentially what you're saying is manufacturers give themselves $10 billion per year. Wow, that's amazing. So I'm sorry, you said that as a percentage of sales, it's gone down, but the dollar amount is, has gone up. Is that correct? Right, exactly. So, uh, you know, there, there's lies, damn lies in statistics. Right? So the amount being spent on warranties, up, but the amount of sales of products, those warranties have gone up faster. Therefore, the percentage rate has gone from spending 1.8% of sales down to 1.3% of sales. And that half a point difference on $2 trillion equals, forgive me if my math is wrong, but about $10 billion in savings per year. Wow. 
So I guess uh, I guess those of us working in quality and reliability are doing some good work here. I, I would assume that uh, anytime there's a quality disaster, some kind of highly publicized quality failure, that uh, those costs go up pretty significantly. Oh, they go through the roof. Not just, I, I assume that not just affecting the individual company, but maybe affecting the industry as a whole. Uh, sometimes it's specific to one, sometimes it spreads. Um, I'll give you an example of both. Back in 2007, Microsoft had an awful time with their Xbox 360. Uh, they, they spent uh, over a billion dollars on that problem. Uh, but that didn't spread to Nintendo or to Sony or to any of the other game manufacturers, only a Microsoft problem. But then if you look at the um, diesel engine industry and the diesel vehicle industry, uh, what initially started as a problem for Volkswagen uh, is in companies in Europe as well as in uh, the United States. Right. You know, Eric, a lot of our listeners associate warranty costs with equipment failures, but uh, you've pointed out that warranty programs have changed a lot recently, and they're no longer just about defects and malfunctions. Can you give us some examples? Well, I think it's a byproduct of the, the rising quality, the rising reliability uh, that we've seen over the past 16 years. Um, as the cars and the computers and the phones, the televisions, um, the exercise equipment, you know, no, no matter what it might be, as the reliability of those products goes up, the chance of failure go down. So um, back in, uh, oh, yeah, I, I guess around uh, 2005 or so, we all started getting televisions, and they were perceived to be uh, uh, maybe a little unreliable. So it was very easy to sell an extended warranty to the buyer those televisions. But prices come to a few hundred dollars, even for the big one. So, um, and, and the reliability has turned out to be pretty good. So it's, it's kind of hard now to sell extended warranty when people don't think it's really going to fail. So these uh, retailers and dealers have started to look at, uh, you know, may, maybe expanding the, the definition of protection a little bit. Ah. And so in, let's say, the car industry, we'll start with that one. Um, it used to be all about brake fix. You get your warranty, uh, factory warranty, and, you know, that's one year, three years. Sometimes they go up to five years. Uh, in some countries, they're seven years now. But you sell an extended warranty for a couple of extra years after that. Um, and it covers mechanical breakdowns, basically. Well, there's not so many mechanical breakdowns anymore, especially in the first couple of years. So what they've begun to do is sell what they call ancillary products. Um, they'll cover um, dent protection. Uh, they'll protect your carpeting inside the interior from stains or rips. Um, they'll protect the glass um, and they'll protect the vehicle from theft with either uh, some sort of etching into uh, the parts or maybe something like, uh, you know, LoJack, one of those uh, tracking services or what it might be. Uh, and they'd, they'd even start to protect the value of the car versus the loan that you've taken out on it. So that let's say a year after you buy the vehicle, you wreck it. Right. And you, you bought the vehicle for $30,000, but because of depreciation, it's only worth $20,000, but you still owe $25,000. Um, what's called uh, gap insurance will um, essentially pay off your loan. So what you're doing is protecting your loan, protecting the value of your car. Um, 
not against um, you know, any sort of mechanical breakdown, but a complete loss, you know, of the vehicle. Is that is that what's called uh, guaranteed a- a- asset protection? GAP, yes, G-A-P, guaranteed asset protection. And uh, the, these policies are fairly new, um, and they, uh, as I mentioned, they they essentially protect you against having to pay off the loan on a car that you've wrecked. Sure. Um, it's, it's, it's a great idea, but the problem is that, well, I'll, I'll give you an even better example. Um, down in Texas, uh, Houston, Hurricane Harvey hit. Um, what was it? 19 inches of rain, you know, dramatic flooding everywhere. Uh, flooded out homes. It also flooded out a lot of cars. I think uh, 30,000 cars got flooded. Wow. And some of those cars had gap insurance. So the homeowner, many of them did not have flood insurance. Right. And the insurance, the the um, uh, the automotive, the car insurance that they had, you know, the, the regular liability and collision and things like that, also did not cover FUDs. But guess what? The gap insurance did. Wow. So it's 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 a catastrophic event. It's that one in a million kind of events that the planners, the the actuaries behind um, gap insurance, would um, have never foreseen coming. But suddenly you had all these um, long shot bets paying off, if you will, and it really cost the insurance companies a tremendous amount of money because. People were not claiming their cars through their homeowner's insurance. They were not claiming their cars through their auto insurance. They were claiming their cars through their gap insurance. Wow. But it, this seems like it creates a real blurring of the lines between uh, a warranty program and an insurance program. Well, in in mobile phones, it's gotten even even more blurred. Uh, your, your smartphones, uh, you have a case there where they really are vulnerable. You know, they're $600, $900 items. You can drop them, shatter them, you know, drop them into water. Uh, you know, there, there's a thousand different ways you can really destroy them. So, yeah, they started off with the brake fix, with the, uh, you know, factory warranty against mechanical breakdowns, uh, you know, malfunctions, uh, defects, and things like that. But again, there's not that many. It's not such a problem. So what they found is that um, they could start selling policies, selling extended warranty policies that included accidental damage protection. And that, that really began to blur the line because now you're talking about, you know, dropping something. That, that sounds a lot like insurance, but they uh, con- con- convinced the regulators to consider it to be called um, personal electronics insurance, PEI. And... Um, uh, that's, a, that's a new type of insurance that could be sold by cashiers and by retail clerks and things like that. Because in a lot of states, you can't sell insurance unless you're a licensed broker. You've gone to school and gotten a, you know some sort of a license. So, um, but they said, okay, well that's that's personal personal accident. You know that that personal electronics insurance um, kind of blurs the line. But then they blurred the line completely when they started selling loss and theft insurance which is straight out, you're covering, you know, leaving your phone on the table and, you know, forgetting about it, having it stolen out of your pocket, having it falling out of your pocket. That's clearly insurance. So, yes, it is now sold as um, mobile phone insurance. And, oh, by the way, it also covers break fix. I mean, you know, we've historically thought of warranty programs as a 
as an expense, you know, that it, uh, if we don't have good products, we don't provide good services, you know, uh, customers complain, uh, it costs us money to make it right. But, but now it seems like warranty programs have turned into an important source of, of, uh, of revenue for a lot of companies. I, I just wonder how that's going to change the way we look at uh, product quality and, 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 and defect prevention. Well, I'm trying, I'm trying to think how, how to say this uh, the right way. Well, you can't watch a car commercial without them talking about how great their warranty is. And, uh, you know, maybe in, in other countries you see it a lot as well that, you know, the, the warranty is um, uh, promoted uh, as a feature of the product. Uh, to look at your protected. So on the one, yeah, it gives me an expense to be managed and minimized. Right. But what I'm saying is that on the one hand now, the, the product warranty that's given away with us is becoming a tool of uh, promotion and marketing, a uh, sort of badge of honor, uh, the sign of quality, you know, like stand behind our warranty kind of thing. And on the other hand, the extended warranty has become a significant source of revenue. Interesting. For not only the retailers, but the insurance companies, and in many cases, the manufacturers as well. Where they'll say, you know, okay, so the warranty covers the basics, right? But you want protection. You want more protection. You want protection against accidents. You want protection against dropping it. You want protection against loss or theft. You want protection against obsolescence or whatever. I mean, you can insure anything these days. Um, so on the one hand, it's become a way to sell your product, and on the other hand, it's become a source of aftermarket revenue as well. It just kind of puts us in a weird position. I mean, I wonder if uh, if it's possible that you could improve the product quality t- to the point where consumers, you know, choose choose not to buy an extended warranty because your reputation for quality is high. So uh, you've done a good job with your product quality, but on the other hand, now you're you're cutting off a potential source of profitable revenue. I, I think that the the um, the creators of these programs have already anticipated that that you know maybe the product is fine and the product will do fine, but it's the the, the external forces. You know, there, there's the uh, you know thieves might take it from you. Uh, you might you might forget it. You might knock it over. You know, a laptop, for instance, in a coffee shop. Somebody might run away with it, or you might spill coffee into it, or somebody might knock it off the table and break it on you. Um, so, you know, laptop's reliable, right. but it still faces these perils. So you really have to protect yourself against that. Same with cars. Okay, so the engine might not break. So you got a, you know, 10-year warranty on the powertrain, and you think, oh, that's great. But the wheels, you know, um, the, you know, the wheels might go flat. You need roadside assistance someday. How about the bugs on the paint job and tar from the trees and things like that, maybe hailstorms? Uh, you know, a good salesman can convince you the product is great, but the perils still exist. Right, right. Eric, I, I don't know if you have, if there's a way for you to look at this in your data, but is there a way to differentiate between warranty costs that are due to product failures versus warranty costs due to some of these other kinds of programs that are unrelated to product failures? Unfortunately, the manufacturers are required to report only the brick fix end of the um, uh, expenses. They don't have to report the loss and theft coverage. They don't have to report. Um, in general, they don't really do much reporting at all about extended warranty expenses. Yeah. So the best I can come up with is um, you know, estimates of the uh, amount of sales, the amount of premiums that they're selling. And that's around $40 billion 
in the U.S., uh, but that's sales to consumers on consumer products. That includes furniture, that includes uh, jewelry, computers, cars, uh, home appliances, warranties, and um, what did I forget? Well, basically consumer items. Um, but while I can tell you that it's $40 billion in sales, I don't know what the expenses are against that. So therefore, I don't know how profitable those programs are. Right. The, the product warranty which is the low level, the brake fix, the uh, mechanical breakdowns, the uh, malfunctions and defects. That's, uh, hold on one second, $26.1 billion in 2018. Wow. Wow. Um, Eric, any, any uh, emerging trends you want to comment on? Anything that you're keeping an eye on uh, in 2019? Well, I mean, I, I continue to look at this um, expansion of the meaning of protection. Yeah. Because this is really becoming a very solid business for a whole lot of uh, retailers and manufacturers. Um, and with the advent of computerization, and I don't just mean, you know, laptops and things like that, but I'll give you a couple of examples. The amount of computer code going into a car, the amount of computer code going into your television, the Wi-Fi capabilities of that television, and now into major home appliances like refrigerators and stoves and uh, washing machines, uh, dishwashers, you know, what have you. Um, the amount of intelligence going into these products and the ability to connect them via Wi-Fi to the internet. Now, the owner of the product, you know, from a distance, the internet doorbells, I think, is the best example ever. But um, it allows the manufacturer to monitor the condition of the products. And yeah. it sounds futuristic, maybe Orwellian, to have somebody call you and say that your car is about to break. Can you bring it in tomorrow? But I see that day coming very, very soon. And even maybe before that happens, there will be a possibility of refreshing the software in your car to prevent a breakdown. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's pretty exciting. I mean, I, this idea is really changes the way we think of preventive maintenance. Yeah. I mean, if, if, Whirlpool, if Whirlpool could watch your washing machine and, you know, realize there's something wrong there and send a technician, you know, uh, before you even knew there was a problem, uh, I see that coming very, very soon. It's already happening with televisions right. where many of the repairs just require a new flash of the uh, memory and everything's working great. The same way as, you know, so many computer breakdowns can be solved by rebooting computer. It has nothing to do with the mechanical breakdown of hardware. It has everything to do with, you know, some software glitch that can be corrected just by installing new code. Very interesting. Very interesting. Eric, uh, this has been a great conversation. Really appreciate your insights. Thanks so much for being, being with us today. Tim, a pleasure. Thank you very much. That was Eric Arnhem, editor of Warranty Week. Uh, you can find him at www.warrantyweek.com, where you can also sign up for his weekly newsletter. This is Tim Rogers. Thanks a lot for joining us.